Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. We're glad you're here. Uh, we hope if you're visiting, you'll come back and visit us again. Uh, I do want to make sure we all realize, uh, we were counting earlier, there are about 10 people who are not here because they're home feeling poorly. Some are in the hospital, and some are simply recovering, so we're, we're lighter than we usually are. But uh, as we start our service this morning, I want to take each of them directly before God in prayer. So if you would, bow with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the love you have for us that has made us your children and that we are to be loving one another. We would ask you to always help us to remember that you are our God and that we are your children and to show that love and affection toward you and toward each other. Father, we pause for a moment this morning to take before you the names of some of our brothers and sisters here who we, we love, who are going through a hard time, and ask your blessings and, and help. Father, we ask your blessings upon Betty and Marla as Marla continues to recover. She's been through so much for so long. We would ask you to bless her in the care she is receiving so she can be back among us. Father, we also ask that you would bless Deb. Deb is facing a hard road as well, and that you would bless her and strengthen her in the care that she is receiving. Father, we ask you to bless Peggy. Peggy is having such a hard time since she was last year with us some three weeks ago. Encourage her and her son. Father, we ask you to bless Heather, who's facing a hard time here as well. Father, we also ask that you would bless Lolo and Elizabeth. We miss them both and want them to be back with us as soon as they can. Father, in all these names, we want to have you help us remember to be the hands and to be the arms and to be the feet to help them ourselves. To show our love for them, not merely through prayer, but by actively meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters who need us. Father, bless all those who are cold in our city here this morning. Be your son, we pray. Amen. Well, we're starting off a series, if you will, of four lessons this month on Sunday mornings, where we're going to focus on the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. I mean, after all, the reason we are here today is the gospel, it's the good news. It's the good news that Jesus came, he lived a life without sin, and that he died to pay the price for all of our bad choices, for all of our sins. But he didn't stay in the grave after he had paid that price. God raised him from the dead, and that is our hope. We reenact that death, burial, and resurrection when we become a member of God's family through baptism, going under the water and then being raised up to be a new person and then to live a different life in the future, living for God. That happens when Jesus is crucified, buried, and resurrected. We're backing up to say, why did that happen? And we're going to focus this morning on the trial of Jesus. We're going to be doing a lot of reading from John chapter 18 today. So there's going to be a lot of words on the screen as we're reading through the text of John 18, if you want to flip over there and follow along with us. But the reason Jesus dies, the specific immediate cause of his death on the cross, comes about through 
the trial of Jesus. Now what we're going to do week by week by week is back up and look at why did that happen? Why did that happen? What allowed that to happen? And we will end our study this is not really a surprise, but on December 25th, because we will have backed up in the life of Jesus to a certain point that we'll all be thinking about, even though it almost certainly did not happen on December 25th. So uh, I've given away the, the shock and the surprise, but we're going to start this morning with Jesus on trial. So let's pick up John chapter 18 uh, here at the beginning. We read, when Jesus had spoken these words, he had been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had been praying for his disciples and those who would believe on him at, from their word. He had been praying that they should be one, and we've done a really horrible job of living up to that prayer. We want to divide and go our separate ways, seemingly at the drop of a hat. So Jesus' prayer for unity, which is a big part of John chapter 17, is something that in many ways is still unfulfilled in terms of us collectively, his people getting our act together. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered, the garden of Gethsemane. And Judas, again, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment, kind of an odd word, we don't use the word detachment very often, he, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. In another account, we were told that Jesus, uh, Judas was going to come and identify Jesus for these officers with a kiss, a sign of friendship. Think of the, the kiss on the cheek that you sometimes see in movies involving Europeans. We might say with a big bear hug. He's going to show a sign of affection, which is not affection at all. Because by that sign of affection, Jesus is to be betrayed. But here, he comes with a detachment of troops. These troops and officers that are being talked about here are temple soldiers. So these are people that were designed to keep the peace in the city of Jerusalem from the chief priests and the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the Sanhedrin. To make sure that things don't get out of hand in the temple. The last thing the Jewish people wanted were any Roman officers, any Romans inside any of the temple grounds. And the last thing the Romans really wanted to do if they could avoid it was to stir up the Jewish people. So they had their own officers, their own police force, if you will, their own keepers of the peace. And that's who gets sent to come find Jesus. The word for detachment, the word for detachment, can mean three different sizes of gatherings. The most common usage referred to 600 soldiers. 600. The smallest of these groups was 200. So you got at least 200 officers, 200 troops being sent with Judas to come and arrest the nonviolent Son of God, the man who did not lift his hand in his own defense. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, as this group comes in with torches and weapons and Judas leading the, the crowd, he goes forward and says, Whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I need him. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. 
Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. Apparently, it seems as if Jesus' presence is just too much. He's like, I am he. I can almost imagine reverberations in the garden, perhaps, right? It's obvious that something's different about this man to these officers. They fall back to the ground. They seem to be afraid. They're the ones with the weapons, and they confront Jesus, and they back up. Many of these men, some of these men, like we had heard Jesus speak before. He'd been in the temple all the previous week. If these are temple soldiers and guards, it's hard to imagine. They really didn't know who he was. But it's dark, and maybe they can't really tell. Maybe they've been hearing him from far away, or at least been hearing about him, right? Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. You see how he's more concerned about his disciples, people with him? You know, I, I tend, hope to think that that's the way a parent would be if ever there were danger to let the children go. You know, let, let the spouse go. If you want me, take me instead. That's kind of what Jesus says. Let these go their way. That the same might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those you gave me, I have lost none. In this case, that's the commentary statement that the Apostle John is making when he writes the Gospel of John some 50 or 60 years later. This happened when Jesus is alive. John writes it down 50, 60 years later when he's an old man. 50, 60 years later when he's an old man. He's had time to remember. Jesus said that, you know, he said that because of this. And that's what he provides here sometimes in the form of commentary. So Jesus is willing to go and let everybody turn loose. And who is the apparent kind of hothead among his disciples? Simon Peter. Then Simon Peter having a sword. First of all, what's he doing with a sword? Hello? Was he cutting apples with it or something? I mean, what is Simon Peter doing with a sword? Jesus doesn't seem to have any. There's no record any of the others have a sword. Simon Peter having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant. Cut off his ear. It's a good thing Peter's a bad slicer. Still catches him on the ear. I'm mean, cutting off the ear, right? Bad, bad thing, bad thing. This isn't any way something easy. The servant's name was Malchus. Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, I, I really suspect his voice is raised here. Right? Probably a sword. I can almost, right? I mean, Jesus is probably not very happy with this. He's not resisting. Why is Peter taking his sword out, smacking this guy, cutting off his ear? Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? God has arranged this. My father has arranged this. This is why I came into the world. Put it away. Jesus does, in fact, restore the ear of this high priest's servant. How do we know the man's name? Malthus. How do we know the man's name? I suspect, again, this is John filling in details later on. He's an eyewitness. You get these kind of details because somebody is there. You know, it was a, it was a green car. They were wearing a blue cap and things like that. Some of that detail is not going to probably show up unless somebody actually saw something. John, in this case. So they take Jesus away and we pick up reading uh, later on. These are verses 15 through 18 and then 25 through 27. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, John. That other disciple that follows Jesus is John. Now that disciple, John, was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. John gets to go on in 
and follow Jesus into the courtyard where we're going to be much closer to the trial, to the investigation that's going to go on being held by the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. So John is known, yeah, come on in. Peter, what in the world are you? Right? Just stay out here. You stay out here where it's cold. Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, to John, went out and spoke to her, kept the door, and they brought Peter in. So he allows Peter to get on in. Come on, let him I'm you know, kind of letting somebody in right past the gatekeeper. Then the servant girl who kept the door, as Peter is going in, the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? I don't know if at this point she recognized him, if Peter had been talking, but something's given him away to this servant girl just as he's coming inside. You're one of his disciples. There's a double negative. You are not one of his disciples, are you? It's like Peter's being called out. You're one of his followers, right? He said, I am not. Not me. His initial gut reaction is, no way. I'm not one of his disciples. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there for it was cold. And they warmed themselves. Peter stood with them and he warmed themselves. Imagine, right? You know, a, a, a big drum. I don't think they had metal drums. We can imagine a big drum burning. And they're all trying to get warm. It's, it's very, very cold outside. So Peter's standing around with the servants and officers, maybe some of them, who had come and picked up Jesus from the garden. Now Simon stood and warmed themselves, and therefore they said to him, maybe the officers here, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. Not me. Time number two. Time number two. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? You were in the garden with him. Then Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Three times Peter has denied Jesus. Other accounts have him cursing and swearing. I don't even know the man. He's been put in a tough situation and he has failed. A rooster crow. Right? That's what Jesus has said is going to happen. You're going to deny me before a rooster even crows. Now, I want to say, as an aside here, I think in many ways we're awfully hard on Peter right here. He absolutely has denied Jesus more than once. But other than John, where are the other nine? They didn't even come. History seems to suggest that they ran for it. And one of the likely possibilities is they were hiding out at Mary and Martha's house about half a mile away. That is not in the Bible, by the way. That's total hearsay in history. But that makes sense to me. They're hiding. They're scared to death. Officers came. They arrested Jesus. They might be after us too. I'm out of here. Peter and John follow after Jesus. Let's at least give Peter some credit for that, right? He fails this test, absolutely, but the others apparently already run from the hills, so to speak. Peter continued to show his love for Jesus. He does. He follows after Jesus, continues to show his love. Yes, his love fails him here, but he was brave enough to follow after Jesus. Good news for us, by the way. That Jesus' love for us is stronger than our love for him. 
Jesus loved Peter more even than Peter loved him. I'm very thankful for that. I fail God. I fail Jesus a lot. The great news, even though I love God, even though I love Jesus, God loves me more. That's a big, big reason to rejoice. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. They're taking him now from where the Jewish people are over to the Roman side of the house. The Roman side of the house. And it was early morning. They themselves did not go into the Praetorium lest they be defiled so that they could eat the Passover. If a Jewish person went into the house of a Roman, they would be considered unclean from a ceremony kind of perspective, ceremonial perspective. Had nothing to do with dirt or soap and water. And the Passover's coming, and the last thing they wanted to do was to miss out on the big feast, the big religious observance. So they're stepping outside. They make Pilate come to him. So Pilate went, then went out to him and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? I want to put as much disinterested sound in that as possible. You can almost imagine him kind of, What accusation do you bring against this man? I mean, it may be four or five or six in the morning. He's out of bed. Jewish people may have gotten him up. And they're annoying him by not coming to him. They're making him come out to the edge of his dwelling. He would have been irritated, bringing somebody to him to judge early in the morning and for not entering the halls. The Jewish people answered it to him and said, if he were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to him. The Jews fire back at Pilate. They really don't like each other. The Romans are viewed as the aggressor, the occupier, and the Jewish people want him gone. A lot of mutual, mutual irritation, mutual in some ways even hatred. Pilate doesn't like the Jewish people. They always cause trouble for him. The Jewish people say, if you are not happy here, why don't you leave and go home? They really don't like each other. So they want to make life as miserable as possible. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. You've got your own laws. If he's an evildoer, you take care of him. Leave me alone. I want to go maybe back to bed. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled with which he spoke, saying about what manner of death he would die. Jesus has said, I will be lifted up. And the prophecy there is that he's going to be hung on a tree. He's going to be crucified. The Jewish people would not have been able to do that. If the Jewish people were going to kill Jesus, it would have been by stoning. That's how they killed people who blasphemed said they were God and put, put themselves equal with God. That's what Jesus did. From the Jewish perspective, that's what they want him to die for. But the Jewish people had lost the authority to kill. The Romans took capital punishment away from the Jewish people, and that's the reason why they don't want to get in trouble with the Romans too much. And so they say, he needs to die. We need you to put him to death for us. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to them, Are you, you know, I, I don't know how he said this, but I can imagine, Are you the king of the Jews? You know, he, he probably isn't all that interested, but he's trying to establish the facts. Do I need to put you to death? He doesn't really care if a man lives or dies. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? That probably stopped Pilate. He's like, Am I a Jew? How would I know this kind of stuff? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? A little bit of irritation probably starting right here with Pilate. 
Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. You've probably heard that before. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Saying he's got a kingdom implies he's a king, doesn't it? But he's saying, I have no real interest in the here and now. My kingdom's not from this world. Even if Pilate takes that to be this land, this area. But Jesus has answered it. Pilate therefore said to him, it's like, aha, I heard that. Pilate says, you know, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? That is the answer of a very weary person who may very well have wondered, is there anything really true in this world? Probably seen it all. Seen people do horrible things, done a lot of horrible things. That's a world-weary answer. Right? A very world-weary answer. But look at Jesus' purpose. This is the reason I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. What truth? What truth did Jesus bear witness to? None of the religious Jewish leaders are concerned with the truth. Pilate is skeptical that truth could even exist. The truth is standing right in front of him. Jesus is on trial because he is the truth. He had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's really the truth that Jesus brought to tell the world. Pilate continues, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? You want your king back? I can do that. It's Passover. You want your king back? Then they all cried again, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber, arrested for real things that he had done that were wrong. And when he, Pilate, heard this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate comes out and harasses the Jewish people once again with this barb about their king. I don't find anything wrong with him. Are you sure you don't want him released? Do you therefore want me to release this man, this, 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 this man your king? And no, we want Barabbas. Look at the implied problem. Pilate gives in to the Jews' wishes and Jesus is led off to be crucified. The Jews would rather have a robber released to them, stolen from them, committed crimes against them and the people, than, to turn, uh, than a quiet man who taught everyone to love one another. What a misplaced sense of what to do. Turn loose this man who's a robber who is doing all sorts of potentially evil things versus this man who spends his time teaching us to love God and to love your neighbor. When we live for ourselves, we're turning Jesus away each and every time. When we live for ourselves, in effect, we are choosing just like they did for Barabbas to be turned loose. When we live for ourselves, it's as if Jesus is on trial and we choose Barabbas. Really and truly. You know, Paul has this statement that people who sin 
once they are Christians, it's as if they are crucifying Jesus again. We certainly, every time we face a choice, have Jesus on trial. We have Jesus on trial, and when we face that choice, we either are choosing Jesus or we're choosing Barabbas. So what is truth? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. Are you living by that truth today? Is your life choosing Barabbas all the time or much more often than it's choosing Jesus? If you're not a member of God's family, Barabbas is all you not a member of God's family, then you are not one of God's people. And you need to change that. You need to change that by understanding your sinful condition, coming forward and saying, I want my life right with God and turn it around. That's repentance. And then die in your old ways and the waters of baptism be raised to walk a new person. If you're a member of God's family, then if you're not living the way God would want, if you keep finding that you're choosing Barabbas instead of Jesus, come forward and you ask God to forgive, we pray God gladly receives you back and forgives. Are you living for the truth today? That's the question I want all of us to think about as together we stand and see.